please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. So what the hell are we going to talk about today? I don't That's even know, man. I, I don't even know. I got I, stuff. I got to tell you, uh, I, um, I, I don't have a lot to talk about. I got stuff. I mean, I got, so I was, I'm forcing myself to write music like on a weekly basis right now. Yep. And, uh, mostly to fuel the stream, but, um, I went and I wrote, I watched a video on like basic chord progressions uh-huh. and I think I want to talk about it because it's theory stuff, but it's not like super hard to grasp. But the funny part about it is like, even I know this stuff, like I'm not an idiot. And right. so I rewatched, I rewatched basically stuff that I've known for a long time and you always get something out of it, you know, like, yeah, and yeah. I, and I got a lot out of it. There was a couple of things. I have, a, in fact, I have notes I took on it. Um, just to just to remind myself while I was working on this piece of music, so I need to buy beard oil to to bring. Look at this this piece right here. It's like I don't know if I want to pull it or if I want to trim it or just bring it in. I don't know. Anyway, so so that's going to bother me the whole podcast. Now I'm looking at this one piece of hair right here. Random ass shit growing here, like because I don't I haven't bought shaving cream in months, so I'm not I'm not even in any hurry. So I'm just like fuck it. No. So I. <laughs> I so I, I want to talk about there's a channel you found. I just want to talk about um uh there's a there's a channel, there's a guy, he's got budget gear, he's got nothing but budget gear. I actually reached out to him and talked to him um personally, and uh his name is John, and he's got a channel, a YouTube channel. Um let me bring this up real quick and look at it. It is called um uh something about you you found it, he had a, a guitar uh yeah, I don't I can look it up real quick because I because I he's commented on our last video actually. Yep. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Overdrive Overdrive Guitar Channel. That's it. So the Overdrive Guitar Channel. His name is John. Um, for those of you who are into budget gear, that's what John is doing. He's using a believe it or not, his two guitars that he's using right now, um, and it's because of financial reasons and hardship that COVID caused. Um, he's got a because uh, he had a nice Strat. I asked him. I said, "Where's your Strat?" And he goes. He goes, I had to sell it to, to cover some stuff that happened, you know. Um, and uh, so got into a discussion with him. He's a nice, really nice guy. Um, and uh, he um, has got a, uh, what is it, a Squire? Uh, yeah, affinity, he's got an Affinity. Squire um, Telecaster. And he's got a Geo um, uh, Ibanez. And that's it. And he's got uh, a Katana. That he's running directly on the board. Remember when I said I? I think I see him running two uh, two laptops. One is capturing the output of the katana, and the other one captures his lavalier. So um, then he splices the two things together, and and you puts the video together like we do, and boom, done. But I thought it was interesting because. I um I told him I said look you know you're, you're a budget thing that's what people are looking at that right now people people have a definitive interest in channels that are doing budget um 
budget guitar stuff. I mean, I sure. sit here. Um, uh, I was on um, not on Robert's podcast this weekend, but chatting in Robert's um, uh, right. weekly live thing, and um, uh, he said you could buy. Um, a blah blah amp. If you just sold one of those guitars, fine. And I said, I'm not selling one of those guitars. <laughs> I will wait and I will buy one. Um, but uh, I don't remember if it was JCM 900 or whatever or 800. And uh, I know I want to get a JCM. I mean, that's 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 in my future. But I thought to myself, I said, you know, um, I'm not selling these. That's not going to happen. So that's why I I'm sitting on top of what I've got. Um, but anyway. Uh, so if you guys want to go out, give him a shout and uh, give him a like. Um, he's a small channel, smaller. When I can say it's a small channel, it's a really small channel. Um, but he's up and coming and he does. The, the reason I thought of it was because you were talking about the basic stuff and he does a lot of the um, yeah. instructional basic stuff. So it's good. Yeah, seem, seems like a good guy. Seems like he's got a nice channel. Yeah. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, like I wouldn't say he's like Guitar Max, but he, but he's, you know, in that in that ballpark of covering that end of the market and yep. uh, it's definitely worth a watch so yeah i mean it, the one thing about and and of course we're not we are not saying anything negative about guitar max he's a nice guy um but the one thing that guitar max has is a budget and he can go get this guitar he can buy a firefly then buy a you know i know that's not a lot of money but still <clears throat> he's out able to buy a firefly and then able to go out and buy another one and then able to go out and buy a chenze and then be able to go out and buy you know an another guitar yeah. or the and then after a while they're shipping them to him and um so he can he can get that and nothing nothing again nothing um uh negative about that at all uh i um i think that um, when it comes to uh, John, um, to a completely different thing. He's got two two guitars, and that's what he's got until COVID's over. And I told him, when COVID's over, give me a shout. We'll see what we can find for you because he needs to he has to find one good guitar, even if it's just a made in Mexico Strat. It's something that that would help him out a bit. Um, he had a dust on my lens. Sorry, that's cool. That's cool. All right. So David has got a new. Uh, uh, I'm actually using my old camera. I could use my new camera, but David's. Got I an still, old camera. dude, new camera. I still, I it still looks to me like there's dust on the lens. I don't know if you can see it. There's a little speck like right in the middle of my forehead right now. Um. <laughs> yep. But that's ah. all right. That's all right. You get. Yep. Dave, David's going to get the dust off. Um, <laughs> I. Gotta happen. But yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, his his signal froze up. He probably did something to the camera. But um, <laughs> there he goes. There he is. He switched cameras for a second. Yep. It'll be back. There you go. Here he comes. Here he comes. There right. he is. All right. So it's still so there. Oh, maybe that's on your. Well, no, that's on your uh, screen because I don't see anything. Uh, yeah, oh, so it's on my screen. All right. I think so. Fantastic. Because yeah. there's nothing on your head now. No, nothing that doesn't move like there's a freckle like above this eye but that's normal yeah i can't even get the position back where it was all right <laughs> yeah you're back okay you're back. god you're, you're close the enough. nightmare well you so, know you get so anybody yeah. who's used a, a mirrorless or dslr camera this is why i'm so anal about this you gotta pay to get them cleaned when that when the, the the stuff gets on the sensor you can't do it yourself yeah uh well i mean there are products but it's like adjusting your neck the first time. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, anyway, yeah. uh, it's not, I, I haven't even had the lens off the body since I installed it. So it's probably fine. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, definitely hit up his channel, uh, overdrive guitar channel. And Jim, I think it would be kind of cool if we could, we could hook him up with something that's decent yeah. for a little amount of money if we find the right deal. So, yep. That's what I'm thinking. So, um, uh, Let's uh, let's talk. I um, obviously did. Um, we talked about the Mustang thing during uh, when uh, um, Robert was on here. I don't know if I got that far in a podcast. I'll so, folks, if you listened to the podcast, the part one just kind of went. <laughs> yeah, he didn't add any like special flavor to the podcast equivalent. <laughs> it just kind of cut off in the middle. I just matter of fact, I think it was right in the middle of a word. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was terrible editing. The the editor needs to be fired. But um, uh, uh, for those of you um, listening, uh, I appreciate the listen. Uh, it, it did say part one and part two coming. So yeah, uh, you know. But um, not everybody reads. So um, including us. Well, it, yeah, and unfortunately, you wouldn't hear until the end of the of the second part where I where we go. Oh yeah, this is long. We'll go ahead and cut it and. And edit it. Yeah. So yeah, that happens. So uh, yeah. So I mean, there's really. So uh, uh, uh Brian Wampler released a new rat. Um. And yeah, I saw that. I have refused to watch the video because I probably want to buy it. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I watched. Three videos, and after the second video, which I think the first one I watched was um, oh. Uh, Wampler. <laughs> yeah. And then somebody else, I want to say it was, I want to say it might've been, uh, one of the, one of the sales channels, you know, like, uh, um, Anderson Anderton, or somebody, somebody like but that. anyway, yeah. instantly I was like, well, I want one of those. And then Anderton's came out CME, which is over by you, um, yeah. came out with a new SG line, uh, uh, four, five new colors. Um, and they're and they're sixty ones, and I thought, well, who cares? They're just different colors. Of the no, they went ahead and did some different stuff to it. Like what they do? Well, they put um, instead of the sixty one type things, they put in the t the t pickups. Um, oh, which mm, yeah, I've got the t's. That's what's in that in the um, three thirty five. Those who are watching, I, for whatever reason. Uh, CME seems to really want to be like the next Wildwood in terms of the Gibson output. And they've been doing like some custom Gibson stuff for a while. Um, they had the seventies inlay SG like for a while that was kind of basically a seventies SG before, you know, the Gibson decided to start looking at that as a potential option for them to, to actually make. Um, yeah. and I don't know. I, I just feel like, they're trying really hard to do something very specific. Um, and I sort of feel like they're kind of missing their mark because they're a boutique store first and foremost and a vintage store. And it's like, they want to become a Sweetwater or something and actually have like this online sales thing in order for them to do that. They need to start selling new guitars in order to make that happen. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, they were, they were reverb, right? Wasn't that who owned Reaver? Uh, well, so same owner. They were they oh, were okay. sister they were sister companies. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're actually Reaver. The offices are right across the street. 
when you go into Chicago Music Exchange, when you walk out, you can see across the street, there's the reverb sign of the building. And, oh, that's cool. Um, Till they move it overseas. Um, um, I don't – so that that's another weird thing is like I don't know where uh, Chicago Music Exchange's distribution facility is because they do a lot of online business now. And they ain't going out of the store. I mean the store is a big store, but they don't have like a warehouse space in that store. Oh. At least not to my knowledge. So – Huh. Anyway. That's interesting. I You know, I, I don't uh, – um, I've never been out there. I'd love to come out and see it. Um, yeah, it's a cool place. Um, I, I will warn you, don't bring money because you'll end up spending all of it. Um, I have gone in there and dropped a thousand bucks on pedals or close to it before. Yeah, um, they I have figure, pretty much yeah. every pedal you can possibly shake a stick at and most amps yeah. um, and even the vintage stuff like, oh, you want to you want a 60s deluxe reverb? Like they'll have one. They'll have a couple probably. Um so, yeah, it's that kind I, of story. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that positivity in my life right now. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, moving right along. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I have to put a tire on my car right now. And tire yeah. for that car is like $225. So. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I, that's why I sold my Passat because I saw the tire bill before I actually had the tire bill. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, you're crazy. It's, it's I was like, expensive. I'm not spending an extra thousand dollars on tires. You're you're absolutely nuts. Well, that's just it. So these tires don't have that much mileage on them. But one of my tires has sprung a leak, and I know good gosh darn well because of the type of tire it is, they're not going to patch it. Right, and and that's and that so any of the any of the German cars have like a lower profile tire, and they're the only company that's using that tire. That's it's always that way, and they're yep. always like two hundred forty bucks a piece. I yeah, NTB had to order it in special, um, and they've only got one in the entire NTB like in the country. Um, yeah, National yeah. Tires and Battery. That there's only one in the country, so yeah, whatever. I I know, you know this. Nice. I, I bought. I went. I went. My right before we went to Vegas this summer, I took my my escape over to the uh, NTV by us, or actually discount tire, mm-hmm. and I and uh, I walked in and I said, "I need tires for this this uh, escape." They looked at my car, and they were like, "Well, we only have the Highline tire," and I'm like, "Well, I gotta have them. How much are they?" And they go and they, he gives me a quote, and it was two hundred dollars a tire, and I'm like, "Sold." It was the best yeah. tire they could put on there. It was like 200 bucks. I was like, sold. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm. So the tire itself is 178.99 plus tag, yeah. plus mounting, plus destruction of the yeah. old tire, plus yeah, whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, I got to do that. So, yeah. So Wampler has a new pedal. That that rat is that, that thing kicks ass. Now, does it make me want his rat? Kind of. Does it? And this is this is where I, I sat down. At first, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll break my maybe I'll break my promise. Maybe I'll go get it. And then I said to myself, I said, you know what? Try dialing in what you got. Yeah, you don't need a rat. You have a Marshall. Yeah, and <laughs> and just go from there. So that yeah, that's what I said. I was like, yeah, I've got a Marshall and the six channel. You can't see it, but the six channel thingy for it. I'm like, ah. By the way, my SG. Just in case people think, oh, the SG is not in the shot. Here he is. I just had it over here on the stand over inside of me because I was playing it. Blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I don't I put like, my guitars behind me. Yeah, I, no. I mean, you know, and that's just it, though. If people I don't have enough wall space. Jim's got a guitar missing. 
it's right here. Um, but uh, yeah, well, you've got you're actually in front of a um, well, you kind of a wall. <laughs> um, I, I left. Two guitar space over next to me. That's where when I'm working on tracks, they hang there, and I grab them. And but I don't, I don't keep anything behind me. I got the wall of amplifiers over here, which is literally like blocking the closet screen. Oh, the closet yeah. doors are in the floor over there. They're going back up soon. We're just, uh, I got to remount them in the floor, so I have to screw, I have to screw them into concrete. The the base plates. I thought those screens were permanent, so you got me by the short hairs on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's only been there for about a year. <laughs> so yeah, so um, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, so I've got Grogu over here. I I went to a um, I, I went to a uh, rehearsal. I had to take the twin, so everything had to come off the top of the twin. Which, believe it or not, the spark just went back on top. I almost traded the spark away. Uh, Saturday for a can of, what for a can of spam? No, for a katana. Um, no. but I would have had to drive to, to Richmond, which in gas and time would have been six and a half to seven hours. And what if that amp didn't, wasn't good. I mean, I'm not saying the guy wasn't taking care of it or anything, but I'm not driving all the way to Richmond for somebody. I don't know for an amp I'm not familiar with. Um, so I didn't go. Dude, dude, can I show you something? I got $20 in my hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Switch. Yeah, this is a, a Switchcraft switch for a Gibson-style Except know, for the Shang-Zi? Yeah, but I'm just laughing because I'm like, this is probably worth more than the guitar at this point. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, I cannot believe these things are friggin' $20. I, I, I can. You know, you, you know what? Um, so, uh, so much stuff is going up. I... I came this close. This is what happens when you have a little alcohol and a credit card in your hand. Um, <laughs> drunk reverb. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was drunk Amazon, right? So I was drunk. No, Amazon that's even worse. And what pops up in my feed? But a Les Paul style, like you know, off the wall name, 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 you know, whatever name. Let's call it generic, Les Paul. Um, uh, that, that is, uh, $200 and I'm like, no, no, why no, are you even I, looking at stuff like that? I was, uh, no, it popped up. See, that's the problem with, with today's intelligence in shopping. I'm, I said to my son, I, I wasn't, I wasn't searching it. I didn't internet search. I didn't do anything. I need some beard oil and beard oil shows up in my freaking, uh, um, now it could be because I have pictures of myself with a beard. Now you gotta be a little less than too, you know, dramatic. Let's not high, give up too much hyperbole. You would be, but I think you would be shocked by how intelligent those services are without actually having to listen into you. I, um, my phone sits we, we use in one at my work. pocket. We use one at work. We can actually target people in specific areas, like, and I'm talking down to like block areas, and who who have this specific op, uh, occupation and this particular job title. Market to them, and and it's like it's so sophisticated that it'll tie their Amazon account to their LinkedIn account and try to make all these leaps about who should be marketed what. 
Yeah. And it's, and it's really good at it too. Um, yeah, it's wild. And, and for, for those of you that are involved in social media, if you're a musician today and you're not involved in social media, why not? Cause, cause it's a yeah. great way to market yourself. But for those of you that are like in social media, understand that it is also the biggest honeypot for anybody who wants any dirt against you ever. Um, and just realize that anything illegal that you discuss is being seen by someone. Um, yeah. Or anything, just any like unsavory conversation. Don't end up like Cuomo, you know? Um, <laughs> I had to go. I had to go there. Tim, don't, don't. Cause I know, I know you have, you have very strong feelings. As a, um, as a New Yorker, I have a lot of strong feelings. But I was Cuomo. just, I was just pointing out that like, Things on the internet stay there forever, and if these services are already getting intelligent enough to tie tie stuff together for your shopping habits. Imagine what it's going to be like when it's in the wrong hands. That's okay. So I don't think when it's in the strong the wrong hands, it's when they start already using is. them. Yeah, it's, it's already, it already is. If, I mean, if you think that TikTok isn't watching, listening to everything, you're you're insane. You're just not paying attention. No, but, I. I, I mean, I would, TikTok's a good example because it's a foreign-based application, but yep. I don't think – so, like, with the way that things are sandboxed in the iOS world, I don't think TikTok's that dangerous on an, on an iOS device, but on any other device, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, yeah, and remember about 50% of your devices – well, 60% are non-iOS. Was it 60%, yeah. 65%? So it's a good percentage. But anyway, you know, let, let's leave all that conspiracy theory nonsense behind. Um, <clears throat> the uh, um, the thing to talk about when it comes to that is just that I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and uh, you see my Facebook. Anybody who's a Facebook friend of mine knows that, um, and I'm I'm not hard to find. Uh, it, it knows that uh, I sit and I cut and I I, um, I snip it by the way. So they're not real links. You can't click on it and get there. Uh, yeah. But I snip um, uh, pictures of stuff that comes up in my feed and it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. The shit that comes up in my feed. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Cause you get, cause you get all the, the, like the crazy, like women looking for a good time kind of. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, well, it's funny, Jim, cause you get that stuff and like, I get nothing like that. I'm, I'm, I don't go to weird websites. I don't, I don't surf, you know, um, uh, stuff that, that, you know, someone in your house does though. That's and that's what's, and that's, what's causing that because it's reading out your IP addresses. Their I, think IP that's, address. I think that, yeah, well, that person isn't here anymore, but it doesn't matter because the, because the, it's our, the taint the is already genie, there. Right. Once the genie comes out of the bottle, you're not going to put it back in. Not, not for a long time. <laughs> Well, let's just say I'm not looking for a woman. I'm not 420 friendly, although I don't care. I'm just not 420 friendly. In other words, I don't do this stuff. Never have, never will. Don't care. Um, not worth money. I don't eat mustard either, but I'm not looking to, you know, talk about what yeah. people like, you know, dislike. I just, it ain't my bag. I don't drink Pabst Blue Ribbon, but I don't stop people who do. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's like, you know, it, those things pop up in my in my feed, and I have to laugh. You know, this is this is the extent of my comedy, right here. Yep. Um. But uh, yeah, I was listening to some George Carlin. I love George Carlin, by the way. 
um, a lo- loved George Carlin, um, and he, I thought he was one of the um, the craziest individuals. Should I use that word? Um, uh, that you could you could you know you could watch. But um, what has that got to do with with music? I'll tell you what it's got to do with music. So I went from George Carlin to Eddie Murphy, from Eddie Murphy to Stevie Wonder. And that was where I went back at music, you know. Um, uh, Eddie it's funny Murphy. that you were listening to Stevie Wonder this weekend too. Were you really? I learned a song from Stevie Wonder this weekend, my friend. What song? What song? Twenty. Uh, I spent twenty minutes um, on Friday night. I think learning "Living for the City." Oh, that's uh, a good song. The, I learned the, all the all the um, synth parts and all that. Oh, so. I learned all the chords in there. Discordant synth part in the middle of it, which is actually really tonal. Uh, even though it sounds atonal as shit, like it's it's really tonal actually. Yeah. Um, what a great song though, man! Like four chords or no, it's, it's five chords. I think the whole song five basically. And, yeah. And it's I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't know that if you listen to it. It doesn't sound like five chords. It sounds like there's a hell of a lot more going on than there harmonically. I guess that five chords that you would play on guitar. I don't know if the um, the synth section has additional chords. I think yeah, it I, might have one one or two other. Yeah, and the and the the horns when they're moving, um, uh, they are have. There, are there horns on that song? Yeah, when you're going living in the city. Um, it, or is that a synth? Is that a synth playing horn part? No, I don't think there are horns on that. Oh, you know uh, what? You know what version I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of horns? Uh, there's a guy named Johnny Lang. Yeah. Um, who did a version of that? Yeah, but living for the city, living. Yeah, living for the city is. Uh, it's not a song that a white dude can sing. No, no, and he shouldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's why no, I I'm, didn't. Just, I, I'm just saying. Like I'm thinking about that song, and I'm like. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should cover it. And I'm like, no, that's no. probably not good in today's that's, landscape. That's, that's going to gonna cause some problems. But yep. I do appreciate the song, and uh, I, do. I appreciate the story and the message. So, <laughs> Yep, yep. Holy crap. Um, um, yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> we're, we're, uh, we're at a crossroads where a decision has to be made. You know, there are certain songs that, to me, um, not just because of certain lyrical content, where I don't think Stevie Wonder would have a problem with you singing that song or playing that song. No, he absolutely wouldn't. Um, I think actually right. he would encourage people to embrace it yeah. that way. But I but, just know that other people yeah, would have. Yeah, the Twitter mob is out there. Um, yeah. But uh, I can say this. There are certain songs that I always felt were sacred beyond, uh, you know, that you, just, you just don't play them. And the yeah, it's like that. Them. It's like that 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 one artist song. That's like that's their song, and it, you're just not going to do any better. Nope. Don't bother with it. Um, I can think of, uh, and then people will probably shoot me because I'm sure there's some people in this group that have covered it. But like, I would look at look stare or stairway to heaven like that for, and and I look at it for a different reason actually because I I actually don't think it's all that great. I think it's a lot more trumped up to be better than it is. Um, plus, this has been done to death, but. Um, a lot of people would say that is Led Zeppelin's song and you do not cover that. You just don't do it. For me, um, the songs that are, that would be for Led Zeppelin. Um, uh, to me, I don't think anybody does uh, black dog, right? 
I've never heard anybody play Black Dog right. You haven't heard me play it. No, but I'm just saying I've never heard anybody play it right. Every time I hear somebody play it, they miss they miss a beat and they and they rush yeah because they because they drop the beats and they rush it, and it helps to have a drummer who can actually play when you're playing it too. That that's a thing. Um, I watched a guy play it one time and he played it with a drummer and the drummer did not know what the hell they were doing. It, it that was not a good that was not a good look. I've seen people do uh, similarly. Um, Tom Petty. Uh, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's not uh, a lot of people do that. They go da 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 da, and it's like no. And then it goes It's kind of in that same line where there's that whole dragging piece. Then you come back into it, and then you kind of you come out. Um, you know where you've got those extra beats at the end because the time signature would never line up if you just tried to. Yeah. Keep do you know how many people I have watched butcher Van Halen songs? Oh God. That they oh, think yeah. they know how to play it. And like they, the cock of the walk with it. And you're like, that's not even the right chord. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you see people playing like, um, bar chords and playing v- Van Halen tunes, you're like, what are you doing? Cause, cause almost everything he did was three notes or two notes per string. Yeah. Yep. And he like every once in a while, he'd get a G that was like uh, he'd use the, the third position G five where you don't play the you don't play the third. So you don't play the A string, basically. And uh, like that's that's signature stuff. And once you realize like that's part of the style, um, you realize that like probably half the people that are performing Van Halen songs just haven't studied the music that closely. In yep. fact, um, I am guilty I will. I will admit. I played. Um, oh gosh, I've played several of their tunes before, but the one that I got wrong for years and years and years was um, "Ain't Talking About Love," and oh, I yeah. didn't figure it out until probably six weeks before his death. That I was like, "You mean? You mean it has it has a, a descending arpeggio that starts on that note? Like I thought it was one note later." <laughs> like such an idiot now every time i have to play that to correct myself because i'm like well, because i'll play it wrong the first time and then the second time i just start playing it right because i'm like i'm such an idiot i it, it's just the way i've played that song for so many damn years that that it's ingrained in me now and, and par- partially i think for 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 his stuff like it was so technically complex that and and it sounded like rock and roll. So at that time, rock and roll was not technically complex. And then you got this guy that's like doing all this stuff that's basically guitar acrobatics. It's you have to almost reverse engineer it to get it right. Yeah, I mean, so uh, Spanish Fly proves just how good Eddie Van Halen was on the acoustic, or Ice Cream, or Ice Cream Man, ice or cream there. Man. I mean, yeah, but. Um, when you, when you hear what he can do on an acoustic, there was another acoustic song. I can't remember. I was just listening to it this weekend and I said, Oh my God, that's right. And and he's just buzzing through that thing. Like I saw and you go, Oh my God, it was, it was otherworldly. I think, I think my generation and, and I'm going to go out on a limb because I know that we have listeners that are in my generation. So please, if I, if I'm overstepping, let me know, but. I just got this impression that when I was starting to play guitar and you tell people like, who are your heroes? And you say like Eddie Van Halen, some of these guys would look at you and they go, really? Like 
he's okay. No, I don't think anybody actually in my generation truly, I meant not anybody, but I think most people in my generation who I grew up playing around just didn't get it. Like they didn't realize how talented the dude actually was. And I'm not talking about in, in, you know, in reference to his, um, uh, the people he was playing against at that time, but even the people posthumously, I mean, you could put him on stage next to any of the contemporary guys now, yeah. obviously, and he's gone now, but, um, and he would have held his own. I mean, even with guys like Paul Gilbert and cause he could play like that. He just didn't. Um, he was very into like making sure that the stuff, like all of his solos are real short. He doesn't like he, he puts way more effort into the rhythm playing. And in a lot of ways, he's probably actually more tasteful than a lot of those guys because he's not, he's not concerned with, you know, Hey, my solo has got to be spectacular and it's got to be 24 bars long. And he just never was, never was that dude. Well, if you um, think about it, probably the, the longest quote unquote solo he had was eruption. Um, yeah, and that was really just like a learning exercise. Just, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a bunch of exercises he put kind of put together, um, you know, and uh, and that song is not copy pasted. Um, no, but, uh, when you when you look at uh, when you look at that first album, Jamie's crying, ain't talking about love, um, you know, all that stuff, uh, running with the devil, Atomic Punk, Atomic Punk, the, that intro to Atomic Punk, that that is. I mean, uh, you know, for that yeah, time, and it's not even hard. I mean, he's no. just using the flanger. We said it because I don't know if it, that episode ever aired where we talked about Eddie, but um, there was a section in in where I I didn't understand this. Okay, I figured it out later. He was literally kicking the flanger on for like two notes in a phrase, and then turning it off and doing that stuff all the time. It was like you know, say Eric Johnson has had. Um, momentary switches installed for like compressors and stuff before. So you can turn the compressor on only when he holds it down. And it's like, that's basically what Eddie was doing. Yeah. You know, he was applying and he ain't talking about love. Those two notes when he plays that, um, I guess it's a, a, the, um, the B and the C that, that he uses in between each, each uh, playing of the chord. They're almost like, like passing notes or whatever. When he plays them, he hits the flanger every time. And I always thought it was like he was he was using a harmonic or something, but no, I realized like flanger on, flanger off, you know, for those two just those two notes. Like that's just mind boggling to me that somebody had that forethought, like, this is how we're gonna do this. And you know, it wasn't like they overdubbed it in the studio. They're like, Oh right. hell, I'll just learn to do it right. I'll learn to do it live. Like it's fine. Well, um, that that whole album was stuff that they were already doing live, that they were already playing. You know, almost almost some of it since their mammoth days. So yeah. to to um, uh, throw that stuff out there, and um, like I said, it, that album was recorded what in a week or some crazy crap like that, or ten days, some crazy. It was like, like three. It was like three days, and then there was like a day for overdubs, and then the day to mix it, and it wasn't yeah. even like. The mixing wasn't even an issue because the stuff was all recorded with the same mic setups and like the mixing was just adding extra flavor here and there and some automation to bring up vocals and that kind of thing. Yeah. Panning a guitar there. Um, if you, if you put headphones and that's a cool thing about those days, I, I'm not saying that nobody does it anymore, but you would put a set of headphones on and listen to that and you can hear that guitar just coming around your head. 
you know, during that. Um, and, and just uh, the little things uh, that they did. Um, that That's my favorite album by them. They, they could have never done another album like the zombies. They could have never done an al- another album and I still would have held Eddie in high praise. But to come back and do... Yeah, I mean, really, everything up to 1984, even 1984, is crazy good. Like oh, everything yeah. that they did was good. Um, yeah, and I would argue a lot of the stuff they did after 1984 was great too. But yeah, uh, a lot down. of people well, take yeah. you know, OU812 and um, Foreign Lawful Common Knowledge, and like I don't remember 51, which one 50. came from 5150. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff out there. I got to get, I hope they do a Eddie Van Halen Funko Bob because that's, I got to get one of those. But um, um, it's just good stuff. The funny thing is, so you were talking about the production work. I don't know if you knew this, but like Eddie and Ted Templeman hated each other. Oh yeah. They and, had toe to toe a lot. Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason why he built his own studio because he got tired of dealing with Ted Templeman and and he got t- well. He just got tired of being told what to do, right? Right. So, like Ted, Ted was the guy that said, "No, Eddie's guitar is going to be panned." I think it's left. Um, it just depends on how your you know your headphones yeah, are oriented yeah. and stuff. But he's like, he's going to be panned on one side, and bass player's going to be panned on the other, and you know, like yeah, a real band, like in, a band on stage, yeah, right? Drums are singing uh, down the middle. Eddie was like, "No, what are you going to do if somebody has like mono headphones, or they like they can only hear out of one side of their headphones because their headphones are broken?" And there was like all these arguments between them about it. Um, and you think about it, like it sort of makes sense, but I think part of the characteristics of those albums are like the way the guitars are panned. Um, I've done yeah. it in some of my own stuff, and it, it, I, I will say this: I I do err on the Eddie side of things because I'm kind of like. When I'm playing solo acoustic, not acoustic music, but um, uh, instrumental music, I don't want the guitar panned left and the bass panned right. It just doesn't make sense to me. But if I had vocals, like vocals would be front and center, guitar yeah. and left, bass on the right. And I, and, and I would probably take reverb sends off both and pan them to the other side just so I could fill out the sound. Mm-hmm. Um which is something which is something a lot of people don't think about when they're putting a mix together but that's basically what you want to do you want to take a you want to take a mono reverb and you want to pan it to the other side well, so that you can actually get something over there to fill out the sound yeah cuz if you listen to a lot of the old beatles records and stuff like that what they would do is they would pan the the guitar hard one way and then put the verb and the the delay and stuff the wet signal on the other side yeah um, that's that's how the jimi hendrix records were done too yep um, and actually like the first Hendrix record was done in mono. Yeah. So they didn't even start to approach that stuff until they did the stereo mixes years later. Yeah. And, um, you got to remember, so yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So a lot of people, even in their homes had mono systems, but, um, and even now uh, they got mono systems. I mean, that's like, I, I, I don't, I can't tell you how many times where, I've got like stereo outputs on something and I'm just like, no, we're not going to use stereo on this because I don't want it to be too big. So I'll just take like a mono out and plug it in and, you know, track mono guitar or track mono bass or whatever, because it just makes sense for the mix. Well, and that's just it. So back then, um, I, I can't tell you how many people would have literally back then these were expensive because you had two. Yeah. A lot of people had one 
or they had one little ear thing and they were terrible. You had these little transistor radios that you would walk around with. And it was really cool if you had an FM dial on it. Yeah. I mean, when you, it's easy to look back, especially if you never lived it. It's easy to look back and go, um, well, it should have, they should have just, or should have just, no, no, because I remember when I got my first little Radio Shack recording device that most people would use like to go into a, um, a lecture hall. They would hit the record and play button and then, right. you know, get their thing. I remember what a big deal that was for me to get one. That was like $50. Now, $50, you're like, oh, $50. It was like, it was like $200 with inflation, you know? Yeah, that's that's like $200 now. And for a kid to have it, and, and my mother like, oh, and um, it was it was stellar for me to get my first stereo. I think I got my, uh, to put it in perspective, I didn't have color television personally. Um, We didn't have a color television until somewhere in the mid seventies. Yeah. Personally, I didn't have a stereo um, that I could use um, until I was 14, 13, 14. So that was the mid seventies, late mid to late seventies. Then the first time, uh, this is a true story. The first time I ever owned a remote control for anything, I was probably 25. No, 28. So it, it was, that was closing in on uh, 85, right? I was, thir- well, no, I was right. th- no, 95. So closing in in the mid 90s. And so um, it, it's, the culture has been always, um, and we have this throwaway culture. My mother had a stereo, didn't want it anymore, gave it to me. I got yeah. the hand-me-down stereo. Yeah, I got the hand- yeah, I got the hand-me-down records. I got the hand-me-down clothing. Um, and I didn't even have an, I didn't even have an older brother. I'd get stuff that um, you know, oh, your cousin's growing out of this. So your uncles sure. and aunts are sending stuff over. I'm like, why do I have to have that stuff? And so, um, I mean, my first guitars were always hand-me-downs. And so I, I, we, we're in that, like I'm doing right now, throwing away my freaking dryer. I, it, we're in that throwaway culture where, yeah. where we just go, no, you know what? I'm just going to toss it. And then, and, and, and Yeah. I mean, even music itself has become disposable and, and people are not thinking about it in that way, but like, that's what Spotify is. Yeah. The, the, um, play it once and then forget about it kind of mentality Yeah, is it's damaging. Like it's damaging to mental health in addition to being damaging to our industry and damaging to pretty much everything really. Yeah. Um, well, everything so, is, is becoming, um, I mean, not that music hasn't been a commodity for a long time. But being a commodity and being garbage are two different things, though. Here's here's the thing about that that I don't think anybody can appreciate. And I know there's a positive side, but I want to talk about the negative side of this for just a minute. Is this I had, let's say I had seven dollars. Okay, seven dollars. That's how much a record was, an album when I was a kid. It was it was 50 to 75 cents. I went up to like a dollar at some point for a single. Okay. Or I could take $7, get a whole album, 
right now, what if I was a musician and it was my job, okay? Other than the, and we've talked about this. Let's talk about the musician making money. Let's leave out the musicians that's an artist, right? What drives a musician to care that they put together eight to 12 songs that are listenable, um, you know, on a record album? I mean, there's a record album behind me right here over my head. Animals. You know so how many songs are on there? Five. They, but it's but running time is still, you know, right. Typical of that genre. That's right. And and one song takes up an entire side of the album, almost. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so what what I'm getting at is this: the musicians of the time take take Van Halen. They're going into the studio for the first time, right? They're getting ready to record Van Halen. Now, they had been talked to by several different management companies and record labels. People were all over them. Okay. That album we were just talking about, you can listen to that album. You can listen to Diver Down. You can listen to Van Halen too. You can listen to um, Women and Children First. End to end, right? That's a good album. Now, I'm not... Again, I'm not. Please, folks, if you're if you're fans of these people, don't think I'm putting your your musician down. This is the this is the culture, not the musician. What pushes Beyonce or um, uh, Katy Perry or anyone to put together a full album of listenable material? Nothing. Or nothing. Because because let's let's face it, uh, they're going to know the singles that are going to sell. And they're going to market those and they're not going to do the rest of the album because they don't give a crap. Yeah. Um, it used to be that when you did an album, it was a collection of songs that like was grouped together for a reason yeah. or it was your best material. And that was the way you bought it. And, it. and then you might have singles that were like other tunes. So like every time the Beatles would release a full album, when they release here in the States, oftentimes they'd include the singles that went in between the last album and this album. Yep. Like that's that that's kind of the mentality there was like, okay, so you could buy the short story or you could buy the magazine with all the other short stories that went with it. Right. Um so I think I think that model is a little different. Um Well than, we called it AOR, we called it album oriented rock. Well, yeah, but that no that but so that happened afterwards, and I think that kind of changed things. Like when album rock became popular, the singles died off. By the time I was a kid, you could get singles, but they were hard to find. Most places didn't carry singles, and your singles were usually limited to your top 25 radio hits, yep. right? Yep. Um, but I think it's interesting. We've seen a real shift in the industry, and like uh, modern artists, somebody you might sort of be familiar with, I'm sure you probably heard the name at least, uh, this guy Pliny, right? Yep, yep. Um, who's an Australian guitarist um, and he plays, you know, progressive rock, progressive metal, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And um, kind of like in the vein of like, you know, Joe Satriani and that kind of thing. Um, but a little bit, probably more John Petrucci ish. Anyway, uh, he's got two studio albums. He's been around. So, like, I think uh, he started to hit the scene, like in 2015, uh, handmade cities came out in 2016. Impulse voices came out in 2020. Um, he has several EPs and most of them, uh, to my understanding are like live cuts and he's got 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten singles. Okay. Um, and he's contributed to a number of other people's records, but that is the limit of his discography. Mm-hmm. Two, two albums, one of which is a short album, very short. Uh, Handmade Cities is not full album length by any stretch. And I haven't heard Impulse Voices yet. Um, in fact, I didn't know it was out until I looked at this. Um, but my point is that that that's a marked paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. When you look at a modern artist like somebody like Plenty, who's like not even doing conventional records, really. I mean, he, he's done two, and one of them is arguably not a conventional record. Yep. Um, whereas compared to Joe Satriani coming out with Surfing with an Alien, you know, um, Surfing with the Alien was like what, like a 14 track album, yeah. you know, that yeah. was released in the, the uh, late 80s. So that's my point we've we've changed from being a from being a a culture that values something and and uh, is willing to take a chance on a purchase and love it as a piece of art like that or just want the song they want that instantaneous moment yeah and then we'll forget about it yeah and and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that if that's what you're looking for in in your life then that's fine what i'm what i'm talking about is this if um all right, so <clears throat> I know that I was not this this is one of the things that we have to live with in a reality that the world does not revolve around us, right? Sure. Um George Carlin said um we're save the world. No, we're trying to save ourselves. Um <laughs> The world will still be here when we're gone. <laughs> was here for four and a half billion years. It'll be here when we're gone. But um, uh, this is this is the point. We we live in a bubble, and um, w- like I've said before, uh, myself and my friends would get together and we'd listen to an album. We'd sit down and we knew that an album was coming out. Somebody, a lot of times, all of us bought it, but one of us would put it on the turntable and we'd sit and listen to that album. A couple people got high. A couple people just enjoyed it. A couple people just, you know, whatever. So a couple people went, meh, it's not my bag. But we sat and we we experienced the album. There was on like Friday or Saturday nights, right up into the 90s, by the way, there was these radio stations that would play a whole album. They'd be like, yep, we're going to yeah. we're gonna do a debut of Pink Floyd's, you know, um, uh, whatever. And they would play the whole thing. So... Um, I, that's where you could say, oh, you know what? I listened to that. I wasn't crazy about it. I'm not going to buy it. Or, oh, you know what? I really like that. My point is that it was a social experience. And without, I'm not saying you have to have that social experience. What I'm saying is if the record album doesn't exist, if there, and if there's no reason for the record album to exist in that form where it is an experience. We're sitting down with Kiss Destroyer the first time was an experience for me. We're sitting down with Pink Floyd's The Wall was was an experience for me, so on and so forth. Um, those, w- when you can't have it, then it's not available. You know what I mean? It's not there to have. Sure, sure. And so sure. I-, I think a lot of musicians, when, when ACDC released the newest album, there was a there were friends of mine who we were we were excited, and when I reached out to a few people, they were like, "ACDC's released now. I got to get that." And and you know, some people went, "Well, I'll listen to it on iTunes or whatever." But 
a lot of people said, I've got to go get it. Iron Maiden's new uh, live album, a lot of people said, I got to go get it. I'm not crazy about it, I, but I spent the money and I got it, so whatever. But um, the the point that I'm making is you can't have an experience that doesn't exist. We We no longer have a dodo bird that we can go see. And so are these the dodos? of of today is the record album the dodo or is the record album coming back people like Pliny, like you just said people like joe bonamassa like acdc are they trying to bring the record album back and will that experience translate that's, that's a good question i'm just, well, just i don't think it out Pl- there i don't think plenty is i think Pliny's wise enough to see the writing on the wall but i think that for specific genres like you're still going to go buy jazz in album format you're still going to go buy, you know, blues in album format. Um, and I think those are, I think that distribution method makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, even from the perspective of this album is going to drop on iTunes and you still see artists dropping albums. I mean, oh. Taylor Swift is re-recording her whole catalog. Um, that's, that's a thing. And, but I just don't, if you're, a, if you're me right now and you're recording songs, one-offs, does it make more sense to you? to produce each one individually and to get maximum sales and exposure by releasing them all individually or does it make, and making a big deal out of each release or does it make more sense to try and pimp an album? Because I honestly don't think that method works for individual artists anymore. Yeah. Um, It's that's what I'm throwing out there. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, and it's not, they're reacting to culture. It's not like they're making the decision to, um, they're making the decision to do this because they want to. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe that somebody like Plenty would much rather be putting out a record of like minded music that all fits together. But the reality is the way that things are financed today, as Gene Simmons said, rock music is dead because nobody's financing it. Um, and he's right, um, as much as I hate to admit that he's right. Um, he is right on that. Nobody's financing it. So, therefore, you have to do these individual productions, and you'd be better off to spend more money on a really good song and promote that really good song to get you know, a listener base building up. And that's really what this is about, right? Like, this is always about a listener base. I'm not, so, I think money goes along with that, and I think people kind of, like, they look at the money side of it more than they look at the listener base side of it. But for me as a, as an individual artist, I start doing Twitch. The reason why I'm doing Twitch is because I want to get, you know, five or 10 people or 15 people or 20 people. They're listening to my music somewhere. And then hopefully that becomes 30 people, you know? And as I keep doing it, that builds and I'm not thinking about dollar signs. I'm just thinking about like, how do I get my music out there? Like, how do I get so I can have gigs and do those kinds of things? And maybe money comes along with that, but, but I'm not, that's not the goal. It's, it's a distribution method, right? For any sort of thing. Most writers don't think that the, when they write a, when they write a word on a page, and, oh, I'm going to make a million. That's not how they start. They start by, I'm going to communicate an idea. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to have an audience. And yeah, so that's I, the way I look at it. Like if you're going to sell singles, it's to gather a larger audience. Yeah. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I just, like I said, we, 
we have a bunch of people that are that that sit on um, social media now, and they go, "Only a '90s kid would understand," or "Only a 2000s yeah, kid would it's, understand." It's already blah, blah, blah. nostalgia at this point, and and it's like, I, I can't imagine. You know, now, I was not when they were new. I was not a a, a Nirvana fan, and so I didn't care. But I had friends who were like, "Jim, you got to come over and hear the new." the new album or you got to come over and listen to the new Alice in Chains. You got to listen to new, new, you know, whatever. And I would go and I would still listen to it, even if it was my bag. Um, and it, I've noticed that there are some things that are starting to come back and maybe, maybe they never left. Maybe they just went underground for a little while and came back and they're resurfacing. But, um, arcades, um, there's definitely some nostalgia that, that drives a lot of that. And even the arcade thing, like they've turned that into, so if you've been, if you've been into one of the, the arcades, like the ones that have opened up around here, they're marketed as adults yes. because the young generation doesn't get it at all. Right. Uh, it, it's totally for us. Yeah. And like, that makes sense to me. <laughs> it makes sense to me. And so, Let's think about how did we wind up loving to go to an arcade? What made what made it that you wanted to go to an arcade? Because you're you're twenty years younger than I am, uh, almost. To the <laughs> well, it was the good times. It was the place to be. It was the hangout. But it's the nostalgia that's driving that, which means it's on life support. Yeah, it's only as long it's only alive as long as we're alive. As long as okay, but okay. So for me, because of when I was around, it was new. Right, that tech, that woo, 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 lights and thunder. You yeah. couldn't do that at home. Now we've got Playstations, right? We've got Xboxes, we've got everything else. Which, which, in a lot of times, are more powerful than what you had in the arcade. Up the stuff. Right. That's right. And so, I'm, I'm of a mind, and I could be totally off base with this. I'm of a mind that the younger generation, because I'm seeing this with music, and I'm seeing it now with other stuff, bowling, arcades, different things like this. I'm starting to see younger people. Now, I'm not talking about um, – I'm talking about right between – my son is, tw in, in, is 21 tomorrow. Um, I'm starting to see that, that they're, they're being drawn to it because to them, how come I never – you know, it's like, how come I never saw this? How come this, this is kind of cool? You know, and it's like – it's like um, – and, and all these really young kids – that are sitting there playing Space Invaders. And like, they could be play and playing that at home. And then I'm thinking, no, it's because they're there with their buddies. They're there with their friends. I think some of it, so like, that's like secondhand nostalgia mm -hmm. in that, in that uh, because they missed it, because it didn't exist, it didn't exist, you know, at that, at that time. Um, there's always a resurgence. Just like, so like, you remember the death of the vinyl record. I remember right. the death of the vinyl record. It happened during my life. Yeah. Um, and I can remember people being like, good riddance. And then like 15 years later, you had this small hipster community, which was buying vinyl again. Yep. And all these vinyl record shops started to take off again. And like, um, that became a big collector's thing. And now, and now it's like, they're actually producing vinyl again, yeah. um, which, is pretty wild, but at the same time, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the younger generation looking at things like, 
hey, I'm going to pick up a guitar because I never saw anybody do that my entire life. And and believe me, there are kids out there that like grew up on Daft Punk yeah. and didn't realize that like there were actual instrument things that you could do that were interesting. Um, I think some of that, that like I'm going to pick this up because no one else in my generation did is, is a little bit of a hipster attitude about it. But I, I'm not going to – hey, listen – I'm not going to belager that point. Like if you want to play guitar, play guitar for, by all means, cheapen the cheapen the industry so that we can buy stuff again. Um, because if it's an enthusiast market, you're going to pay. Um, and I honestly, I look at this situation and it, you're talking about like, that is a reaction to throwaway culture. And I think that that's, it's important to acknowledge it exists, but I also feel like it's not enough to stem the tide. Um, and maybe that changes, but like right now, at least with, for example, you're talking about arcades, like that's only going to last so long as the equipment works. Mm-hmm. And the, I, I have a friend who actually used to work for, for an arcade here locally, um, which was like an adult arcade where uh, he was talking about like them decommissioning machines because they broke, you can't get parts anymore. And it was like, I guess that's that, you know, um, and there's still, you know, there's preservation stuff out there. There's ROMs and like somebody at some point is going to start acquiring the licenses to put that on PCs that look just like arcade machines yeah, of course. that you can buy for pennies on the dollar. But the point is like, there will always be people that's like, that's not the same. And, um, I just sort of feel like, uh, dude, I long for those days. Like you brought up the arcades and like, I'm very nostalgic about it because that's where we wanted to be when we were kids. Like we never really got to go all that often. Um, but well, I, I, I mean, I could go to the, we would go to the mall and like my parents would go shopping and we'd go to the arcade. Cause yeah. I was like, I don't want to, what the hell do I want to shop for? Just give me like five bucks and quarters and I'll go play video games for a while. Yep. Um, and I can remember being very, very angry because like you would play games and the money would just disappear. And like the, the games are, you know, always set super hard and stuff, but I sort of feel like, um, music is kind of headed in the same direction right now in that I do see a, a revitalization and a rediscovery of people actually playing music. I think, I don't think it's the dominant form of what's going on right now, but I think it's enough to keep it, keep it alive for a while. Um, so my, my local outreach here is with, through Twitch. Obviously we've been, I've been, you've been watching live streams and like I've been doing it two or three nights a week or whatever. And it's so funny because if you, peruse if you browse the music section on there i would say 80 percent of it is djs i would say 10 percent of it is people doing live production yep and then the other 10 percent is like actual musicians playing their instrument yeah which is pretty crazy when you think about it like that spinning turntables and playing somebody else's vinyl is considered you know high art now when you know you've got people who actually like played the stuff that's on hate, that vinyl, it's still I, alive. <laughs> I hate to make this admission, but it was stuff like that that actually kept vinyl alive. In oh in yeah, a way. It definitely, it definitely was. It was it keeping vinyl was. on life support because that thing before they could synthesize that, that was that was what they did, and a yeah. lot of a lot of DJs that do that. The turntable thing, they're proud of the fact that they're effing up a vinyl for a while, you know. And, yeah, many of them, many of them are still using vinyl too, even though that the CD the CD uh, equivalents are really really good. Yep. Um, they're just like 
no, I've always done it this way and I prefer the feel of vinyl and yep. you know, so that's their thing. Well, if you think uh, about it, it's 12 inches, it moves better. It's got, you know, and I know that they're, they're, they're doing similar things with that, but digitally and so on and so forth. I'm just saying that, that I could imagine that that they're the tube amp people of the, of the DJ world. Dude, I can't tell you how many people I've heard about like going through weddings where one of the spouses is like, no, I don't want a live band. And it boggles my mind. You'll spend $100,000 on a ceremony. Some of these people spend $100,000 getting married. Yep. Like, which, which, all right. So let's be real. If you're spending $100,000 on a wedding, you better have a million dollars in the bank. Um, but the reality is like, you're not, you, you want to hire a DJ. Well, they play all the songs I want. And it's like, whoa. You know, you don't want to share this moment with somebody like an actual flesh and blood human being on this stage. You want to, you want one dude with a PA system and karaoke tracks. Right. Pretty much. Like, it's just mind boggling to me. I, I honestly, I'm just like, holy crap. It's, um, I can have a chamber orchestra mm-hmm. or I can have an organ grinder yeah. with a monkey who dances. Yep. That's it. That's what they, and they hire them, the organ grinder with the monkey and uh, pay him $10,000. Um, I mean, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is they make way more money than wedding bands do. It's crazy how much money some of these DJs are making. Yep. Um, I, I know of a wedding band that used to do twenty to $30,000 a year on weekend gigs. And they were like complaining because one of the one of the band members, actually the drummer, left and he became a DJ, and they were complaining. They're like, "Dude, we should come back and you should do this gig." He's like, "Why would I come back?" Yeah. He's like, "Dude, I'm make I'm making four times as much money, yep, by myself." Yeah, then you know, the band made. Then the band got paid on its own. Like, in other words, he was making like fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollars a year. You know, spinning spinning uh, yeah. CDs on the weekend. Or in this case, I think it was actually you already. He's already on the iTunes crowd, so he I just knew, had all the normal iTunes crap and a PA basically. I've known a lot of very talented singers, um, musicians who took their gear, uh, added a karaoke machine at one point, an MP3 plus G player yeah. to it, and then. After the karaoke thing started to wane and wane, they just they sang the tracks or they they just played music, and and they're doing it and they're doing great. And you know, I don't put them down for it. Hey, listen, they, you're making a lot of money. I just I just don't understand the decision making process there. I don't um, understand the the purchaser's decision making process. I, well, I I respect them for what they're doing. I, it's their decision what that's to what do I'm, with that's their what money. I'm say, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I don't got it. Well, you I know what? So like before I switch topics, cause I got, I got the other thing I want to talk about, but um, okay. I, I, so here's, here's what, here's where, cause I'm like trying to, trying to verbalize exactly why my, why I'm sort of outraged about this. <laughs> and it's really that like, I think I, so in my mind, music is a performance art. Yeah. I don't care how, I mean, believe me, I love great albums and well-recorded, like well-written, 
perfect albums. That's like totally my jam, but I don't understand people who prefer, who prefer a squeaky clean, perfect album to a band playing it live, especially if it's the original band. Right. But like music is a performance art. So what the hell, you know, that that's why the DJ thing kind of like irritates me because it's like, I can have this band actually do the, you know, the work in the way that it was intended to be done, or I could have it just like the album. And it's that same argument that's gone back and forth for decades, whether, you know, the album is superior to a live performance. And as a music lover, like I used to say that, that for some bands, the album was superior to live performance, but now I kind of judge the bands harshly on that. If you don't, if you can't pull it together to make good sounds out of the songs that are on your records, I then you're not worth my time. Like, in fact, when somebody, um, somebody will tell me like, Oh, you should get this record. You should check it out. You know what I do, Jim? I go on YouTube and I look for their live performances and I watch a couple of their live performances before I didn't decide to listen to the record. Cause I'm like, if they suck live, why the hell would I want to listen to the record? You know what I mean? Like it's not, they're not good musicians. So screw that. Um, which is funny because w- when we started this uh, thing, you were doing the monkeys, uh, when you called me earlier yeah. um, and I'm just laughing. Cause I'm like, that's totally the same argument, right? Yeah. Um, it is. Anyway. All right. So I think we've harped enough about this um, for the evening. Harp, you know, I, I, we need a harp sound effect or something, you know, some like arpeggiated stuff. Anyway. Um, all right. So I'm challenging myself, Jim. You have your year of no gear. I have my year of, I'm going to make a hell of a lot of music. Um, and, so today, I, in lieu of streaming, um, I was actually going to stream video games just so I could start to build my channel a bit more over on Twitch. Um, I decided, shit, I'm going to actually, I played I played a game for like an hour this morning. I didn't play on Twitch. I just played a game for myself for an hour, huh. drank my coffee, and I said, you know what? I said, at 11 o'clock, I'm stopping, and I said, I'm going to write some music, and I said, I'm going to do this every weekend. Because I, because I, for one thing, I need more music for my live performances. But number two is like, I need to get better at that. I need to get better at, at just like being consistent and having consistent output. And we've talked about forced writing on the show before. I don't think this is forced writing. Cause like, I do want to make sure that I'm writing good stuff. Right. Um, and not just writing to write. Uh, but I, I, I fully expect there's going to be a little bit of that that goes on. But, um, so I picked up my guitar and I had the muse. I don't know why. And I strummed out some chords. And actually, I had two. I had two songs uh, worth of chords come out. Uh, two different chord progressions. But I was like, I was kind of stumbling through it. And I was um, actually what ended up happening was I put it into easy bass. Uh, easy bass. Yeah, easy bass from uh, um, Tune Track. Tune Track. And um, the one gripe I have with Tune Track is that it doesn't do seventh chords. It doesn't do any extensions and it doesn't have diminished or augmented. Now you can do an a minor with a G in the bass or an F sharp in the bass or whatever you can, you can change the bass note against a chord. So you can kind of simulate a seventh by using the appropriate major triad with a minor triad or, you know, and stacking them appropriately. Yep. So you make your major triad and add the note you want the bass or, 
vice versa. But then it becomes a problem because I'll, I'll, I'll give you the chord progression I have here. Um, I have a one minor seven, a four minor seven, a minor seven, a two diminished, and a five seven chord. Now, can you tell me why that would be an issue? Because there is a couple of chords in here that are a problem. Um, Jim's shaking his head. Just to just to you know take him out of the hot seat for a second. The the chords I was really having a problem with were the four minor seven. Yeah, which is C E flat G B flat, right? Which is not two stacked perfect triads, and then the two diminished, diminished. is like impossible. Yep. Because if you can't if you can't flat the fifth, you can't flat the fifth. See that thing right there? That's that's yeah. my easy base. <laughs> well, so. The nice part about it is with easy bass, I don't have to come up with a pattern. Like I can, I can do it and then I can like just grab through patterns and find one I like. And I'll go back. I have gone back and retracked the bass part or track the bass part with a guitar and import it. Um, so that it'll, so that it'll track against it. And actually I think I did some of that today. Um, but I was just thinking about it and I'm like, for, for one thing, I, I sent, easy bass i sent tune track a nasty letter and i said why in the fuck and i and I'm just totally angry about it why would you ever release a piece of software that does not include diminished and augmented intervals yeah because uh, even just the interval because for bass you don't actually need extended chords like to make a bass line but you've got to have at least the triads and they only included major and minor like well, what? Yeah, I, I while I don't like it, I get it because it's it's more of a basic. I used to I hate to use the word base. Yeah, yeah, base, I, base, I get what you're saying. But yeah, so um, I too have had to struggle over the last week. Um, so I joined a band, and so I needed something to practice with. So I said, because um, I don't want to have to lug this twin every time I go over there. And I am not lugging my Marshall in and out of there. So I said, all right, I need some. And the and the uh, the spark is not loud enough to be heard over a real drummer. So it, I had to buy the, uh, question. I didn't want to. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to. I didn't want to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but is your twin actually lighter than the than the Marshall? A lot. Really? Yeah. It's 33 pounds. The Marshall's 40-something. Interesting. My uh, my Fillmore is supposed to be 40 pounds, like 38 yeah, 40 that's about pounds. Right. Yeah, this is 33. 33 and a half. Um, so, but it's bulky and it's big. And the rehearsal space is a guy's living room. Um, so I had to get something small that I could leave there. But also be heard over a drummer. So yeah. I got that. And that's going to leave there. It's going to stay there. But it's, what did you end up getting? Can you what, see the top you? of it? You bought an orange? Nope. It's not an orange. A blues Junior? Yep. It's okay. just a Blues Junior. But it's going to stay there. It's not going And it's anywhere. a requ- well, but it's but it's a requirement. I mean, like, that's, yeah, that's a I professional have to. requirement. I have to have it otherwise, yeah, otherwise I was going to have to lug in and out. And when I was going in and out, they were like, 
uh, okay, so I want to give a little bit of background. I left this band once. When I say left it, I left them. And uh, so they were like, are you leaving us again? I said, no, I'm just taking my amp home. And they go, I think I know the one. And they go, well, why, why do you need to take it home? I go, well, I need to play through it. It was a twin. I took it home. I was like, I'm not leaving it here. And they well, that's like, the funny part. It's like, well, what we wanted to use it when you weren't here. No, uh, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, not those guys. I and that's why I was like, um, so I I figured the little amp would be great for it. Um, so I got a I got a Blue Junior. <laughs> I um, never. It, I don't understand people who look at things like that. I was like, well, it's just here. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that is mine. Um, and so yeah. Uh, Not so unless that, you want to pay for the repair. <laughs> yeah, especially so it's a tube amp too. Uh, so anyway, um, we'll see because it's louder than I remember. Holy shit, it's louder than I remember. Oh yeah, blues juniors are plenty loud. Damn loud. Um, but the problem is, I actually wanted to live leave the twin there because it's actually more easy to tame volume wise. Yeah. So wait, you have a Blues Junior four? Is that is that accurate? Is that what you? Oh, uh, that's a tweed. So they call it the lacquered. It's actually uh, the so there's there's the four, the lacquered, and the something else. Yeah, but I I thought the lacquered was the same circuit as the the other one. It's just that's a look. That's a good question. I don't know Let's because look it up. um, it's a, I know it's still a fifteen watt, and I know it's still all the stuff, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just a different speaker. Is it? Yeah, yeah you get the 12-inch Jensen. Yep. And it's, um, but it's basically the same amp as the four, including the, it, you can tell because the the panel is, yep. is black. That panel is because people were bitching. They couldn't see the uh, chrome. Yep. <laughs> the chrome panel. Um, so they finally got around to fixing it. And so what, what, I, what I laugh about with it uh, that I think is funny um, the foot switch turns on and off the fat channel. Yeah, it's not a it's not a drive not a switch. It's basically just a it's basically just a mid boost. Yeah, it's just a little mid boost. It's actually probably not even a mid boost. If it, it's probably just natural mids with the fat boost on, and and if you turn it off, it's probably a scoop thing. Um, it definitely scoops. It's very noticeable. Well, um, hey Jim, if so you like that, at least when this, well, at least when your year of no gear is over, you know you'll be ready for a Mesa, California. Yeah, yeah, or a Gibson, and California. The Gibson, California, is what I'm getting. God damn it! Um, so, yeah, I got the I got the uh, the yep. There's your Gibson hat. I'm wearing my Fender hat today because I've got two Fender amps. So I'm trying to make a decision: do I leave the because because now the um the Captor can capture that. So now I can capture a Fender and capture a Marshall. And it doesn't care because it's coming out of a Fender circuit. It, the the Captor can emulate any speaker um, emulation I want. Well, I don't think that, but yeah, but I don't think the tweeds sound anything like a, like a 60s style no, Fender. No, it's not going to be a 60s style thing, no. Like yeah, like the twin reverb is not nearly the same thing. All right, this is really bothering me. Yes, um, it's not. It's bothering me because I'm wearing it. It's bothering me because it's my headphones. It's like 
that whole episode we went through and they wore that, like it was really hard to wear with headphones on. Um, and I have a weird shaped head too. So that, that part of the problem. Really? Um, I, I, I struggle, um, with hats because I have a small head. And, uh, so I have to like pull the hat like really tight in the back. So there's certain types of hats I'll wear. Like, I have this guitar zoom hat right here. I can't wear this trucker style because look, yeah. I, I can never get them small enough where they actually fit. This is actually too big. Look, I can put Same this deal. over top of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, that's for a guy with an eight inch head or a woman with an eight or eight inch, eight, a size eight, whatever you call it. I, I have like a actually, seven, seven and a quarter. Head <laughs> I don't hate yeah, I don't hate the I don't hate the Blues Junior. Yeah, I I do think the stock speaker that they usually put in is kind of crap. Yeah, um, even the even the Jensen that's probably in yours is probably not great because yeah. they, they're cheap amps. I mean, it's yeah. five hundred bucks for yeah, for yeah one. It's, and, it's a well, they're up to six hundred now. But yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I didn't pay um, that. <laughs> and while well, he just killed me, it's like, oh, they're up to six hundred now, and you're like, what changed? Nothing. Because there's nothing in them. There, there's like nothing on the board in those things. Um, no. The Pro Junior gets used a lot now. And like it gets used on pro stages, which is hilarious to me. Because um, these yeah. amp, like all of the, all of the, uh, the Junior line, or like the, the Blues line or whatever, the, the Hot Rod Deluxe line, basically everything that includes right. like all that family of products yep. are sort of notorious for breaking down. Um, so <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, you know, uh, I guess that makes sense, but I don't yeah. know, 600 bucks for that seems really steep. It, yeah, I did not pay. I wouldn't have paid. I can't, I, I can't, re I can remember when you could get a blues junior used for 250, man. Oh, I know. I remember when you could, you could, uh, um, uh, that's the thing that, that kills me, you know, uh, is they're not even, it wasn't even that long ago. I went, I went online. So I, I wanted to get one used. I was like, all right, I'm just going to get something used. And I, I went online and I went to Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and everything else. Cause reverb, everybody wanted $50 to ship. I'm like, I'm over new price by now. So yeah, everything, yeah. everything I looked at. So locally I found um, a Katana that somebody was willing to trade for my spark. And I was like, well, that would put me out no money. But the katana is not going to have the resale value. Not a fifty watt katana. It's not going to have the resale value of the spark. Spark is still very popular, and so I'm like, ah, I could probably sell that spark still for probably 200, 220 bucks. Where the fifty watt katana has got about one hundred fifty dollar resale value right now to one hundred eighty dollars. And I haven't, I haven't looked at them, but I know I got yeah. more than that on my head. Well, the head is the head is the hundred. Remember, you got a you got a hundred watt head. Would you get three three for it? I got three twenty five, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. And um, so uh, then I thought, okay, well, what else can I do? Um, and there was like a couple of of Mustang three, Mustang four, um, uh, no good used. Um, uh, there's nothing good on the used market. There was no good used tube amps in this area. None. That's not a surprise. 
Not for um, not for inexpensive, like yeah, not in a store, not on Reverb, not on Craigslist, nothing. Um, and I said to myself, um, I could I could try to push a forty watt amplifier hard enough to get over top of that stuff, or I can just get something cheap and throw it in there and just say, okay, that that's what I gotta do. So that's what I did. Um, so yeah, and and don't get me wrong, because in all reality, what I really want right now is a fuzz pedal. <laughs> and it's because, okay, so the electro harmonics one that you gave me a couple of years ago, that broke. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, the switch isn't always switching. doesn't stay on. Oh, that's and easy fix. It's probably some switch contact cleaner. and Probably. Um, and, and even if it's not, like the, swapping on a switch on one of those guys is easy. Yeah, that's what somebody told me. So I get it fixed. So, um, or fix it, I mean. So that's probably what I'm going to do. I'm going to try contact cleaner on it first, some deoxit. And then if not, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix this the switch. You could even send it like there are guy like like Wampler will fix pedals and stuff like that. Well, that's true. Um, there's also Alchemy Audio here in Chicago that does a lot of repair. But that um, the thing I was looking at was that JHS Supreme uh, called Supreme, and it says Japan on it. Um, that seemed to be the one that every single video I saw when they put it with a humbucker sounded good. Um, yeah, it's based on a Univox Super Fuzz. Is that what it is? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, is that good? Actually, <laughs> um, any you want to look for something that's uh, like Tone Bender or Super Fuzz ish? Because Super fu- the Super Fuzz is similar to the Tone Bender. For that was the other thing I looked at was the uh, uh, the Bender by um, uh, who the heck is it? Keeley. Keeley yeah, has a Bender and uh, what do you call it as a Bender? JHS yeah, has JHS has one as well. Um, and actually, you know who else makes a good tone bender is um, Park Sound Fuzz, I think, is what it's called. And that's actually made by Supro and Pignodes or whatever. Or not Pignodes, um, Pigtronics. Pigtronics. And that's yeah. supposed to be really good, too. Ooh. It's the Park Fuzz Sound Vintage Germanium Fuzz. And that, that makes some really good humbucker sounds, in my opinion. Park? You want to look, look at that, yeah. Fuzz... I guess that's actually made by Earth. I guess that's made by Earthquaker. I don't know why I was thinking it was uh, Pigtronics. Earthquaker, there it is. Yeah, yeah. They well, so they're they're making them with the park name, which um is wow. kind of defunct at this point. But they get they they're pretty cool. Like uh, I've heard a couple of clips of them with with humbuckers that sound really good. So if you're looking for something that's really humbucker specific, yeah. Um, and then of course you could you could look at a Vemoram fuzz. The Josh Smith Memoram Fuzz. It's only uh it's only uh four ninety nine, I think. Yeah. Well, these are in the same price range. The the cheap one is the Keeley at 150 bucks. Um the park and the JHS are both at 179. So that's not too bad. Yeah, I mean I don't like I consider those the same price. <laughs> Honestly, for, for twenty bucks, like you pick the one you want. That's what um, I'm saying. It's not it that's what I said. They're in the same price range, they're in the same ballpark. So while we're talking about fuzz for a minute, can we talk about the um, can we talk about the uh, bliss bliss factory? Are you familiar? All right, so Chase Bliss, uh-huh. are you familiar with Chase Bliss? Oh yeah. Um, so Chase Bliss has done a collaboration. It's been, it's been around like this is not a new pedal. 
they did a collaboration with uh, uh, Zvex because he actually used to work for Zvex. And Holy so they took, shit! They took I just a at the uh, price. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that, well, we're getting there. So they put the um, they put the Fuzz Factory inside of basically the Chase Bliss digital, um, the Chase Bliss's digital control infrastructure, and they added their um, Condor uh, filter on it. And basically, it's you know it's fully programmable, MIDI programmable um, fuzz factory, right? Yep. And all the quirkiness of the fuzz factory, and the sounds I'm hearing people make with this thing are really, really cool. But I'm also sitting there like somebody sent me a clip the other day. I think it was Mike Mira. He sent me a clip the other day, and he's like, "Man, look at this thing!" And I was like, "Yeah, man, it's super cool, but it's not four hundred dollars cool." Um. $589 because they're only doing it in limited runs. So if you want it in between one of the runs, you're going to pay. Um, and they've only done two runs. And apparently like Joel and Zachary Vex are going back and forth with one another about how many of these they're actually going to make full time and whether it's going to become a full line pedal. Um, and I was kind of laughing because I'm like, you could spend 400 bucks on this or you could spend 400 bucks on a Vemoram, the Vemoram fuzz. And I honestly think the Vemoram fuzz, as far as premium, really expensive fuzzes go, is probably better than this um, because it's more, I'm trying to think of the right words. It's like more usable. Like the fuzz factory excels at being a noisemaker. Uh, if you want something that can just obliterate your signal and do all kinds of weird shit, that's what you buy a fuzz factory for. You don't buy a fuzz factory to play like Jimi Hendrix rhythm or to, See? you know, play pumpkins tunes. Um, <laughs> and I know people that use it that way. I mean, the guy from, um, the hell's the name of that band, the, the band that did great Western Valkyrie. Um, somebody in the group knows, um, that band, their guitar player, he plays um, the the Offset freaking Gibson, uh, Firebird. Rival Sons. Rival Sons. He plays uh, he plays a Firebird through a Fuzz Factory, right? And that's like a big component of that band sound. Um, but I kind of like, I'm just like, man, I, yeah, Fuzz it- Factories are already expensive enough as it is where he actually made the Vexter series just to make the fuzz factory affordable. Um, and which is stupid because if you've ever opened up a fuzz factory, you know, there's like nine components in there. You're paying basically to have like six knobs on it. I mean, that's basically what it is. Um, well, this is your typical chase bliss with too many knobs and too many options. There's, there's like 14 dip switches on this thing. Yeah, yeah, they're all like that. Um, you could get lost in them for sure. I don't have my board sitting in front of me. Or I'd show you my my warp vinyl. Um, there, there's one, two. Let me see. Which my warp vinyl is going up in value slowly because uh, it's out of production. There's sixteen. I I thought I was being hyperbolic with fourteen. There's sixteen dip switches. Yeah, and once you understand how they work, it's really simple. But six um, six switch um, uh, knobs. And then your your uh, three three position toggle switches, and then you've got another toggle switch that's, and then the two on. 
and you can have two presets or MIDI 256 presets. Yes. And I understand that, but unless you're using MIDI in this thing, you're not going to get your money's worth out of it to me. Oh, I, I don't. So like I have the, I have the warp vinyl. I'm not MIDI. I don't have any MIDI control over that. And I, and I feel like I'm getting my money out of it, but, but, that said, I use it. So, like, here's the here's the unorthodox part of it. I'm using it as a fucking tremolo, right? In addition to a chorus, and I'm also using it for. You heard my rotating speaker sound effect on my, yeah, on my one song, the Leslie. I mean, that's, yeah, it sounds great. But um, but live, you can't switch more than how many positions before you have to have a MIDI. Three, two, two, two presets, two. And you could do two presets in live, basically. And now, so you if you're have not your knob using, twisted, right? So it's like three settings. Yeah, I was going to say if you if you weren't using the other, like during a song, you could use two, and sure. then you could between songs reach down and switch it. You wouldn't be the first person yeah. in the world to reach down and switch something on his pedal board. Yeah, um, and there there are also um, there's a favorite switch you can use as well, so you can get access to some of the presets with one. Which of your is favorites yeah, that's option. something that uh, what's which call it uses too that little favorite switch that they have. Uh, Strymon has their Strymon version has of their it, version right? Of it, yeah. And so I'm I, not, I, I, I like the look. Yeah, fan ahead. of them. I mean, like, honestly, I'm not a big. I like Chase Bliss. The sounds that are in those pedals, if they were two hundred bucks with three knobs or four knobs, like hell yes, because they sound freaking fantastic. But you don't buy them for that. Like you buy them for the 20 dip switches and the MIDI switching and all that kind of stuff. So for me, like if I'm going to spend $400 on a pedal, I don't actually need all that crap. What I need is a pedal that just sounds freaking phenomenal and is like idiot proof. Um, This, and and, and I'm going to hold this up because this is my, this is my white whale, right? This is too many knobs, right? (laughs) That is too many knobs. Um, and I mean, it, it like too many knobs. There's switches on the side. There are switches on the back. See, you know, yeah, you got to learn how to use all that crap. And it's just, it's not idiot proof. Like no. you go on a stage with this and you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're going to be in trouble. But that's a pedal that you use that you love. I mean, you, you got, yeah, it I bought it twice. <laughs> the, the, the same serial number twice. <laughs> yeah. You got the exact, not just the same pedal, the same pedal. I want to, I want to stress the word the same. Yeah. Pedal. I hunted the guy down and told him I'll pay him. And I basically paid the new price for the, for it used. Um, yeah. I look but, at this, I look at this, um, 1972 Japan Supreme that you said is based on what, um, the, uh, uh, the Superfuzz, the box Super, Superfuzz. Superfuzz. And I go, uh, and I heard several different things to it, and I went, that's the fuzz that I want to get. Yeah, I, just be careful, because I've, I've definitely bought fuzzes off clips and then got them and been like, that sounds like nothing like my but here's <laughs> Yeah, here's my dangerous part. And this is where I really, literally want to write Josh an email and go, dear Josh, if I buy this pedal and I put it in my chain... Where should I put it? Because does it go in front of my dark side? If it goes in front of my dark side, does it go in front of my um, wah pedal? I mean, in other words, does it matter or will it, you know? Uh, with that pedal, I can tell you right now it's going to matter. Yeah. And that's that's the only pedal I found that plays nice anywhere in the chain, depending on what you want to do with it, is 
and I'm just talking about like in turn I'm not talking about in terms of sound quality. I'm talking about in terms of noise and squealing and harmonic craziness that's not supposed to go on. Right. The only fuzz pedal I found that consistently doesn't just act like an animal is the uh, the uh, the muffling stuff because they're because they're three. They they have three transistors in them. When you when you have a three transistor fuzz, and they're also more akin to a distortion anyway, um, they play nice. You can put a wah before them, um, or you can put a wah after them. So just be just be aware of that. There are options for that for dealing with that though. Like number one is put the put the damn fuzz at the front of the chain, right. uh, which I I'm not a fan of. You know this. Um, or you start seeking out the pedals that play nice with fuzz and you go the other direction, which is the way I went. What about, okay. So what about, um, you know, I got a dark side, right? Mm-hmm. So does the dark side care where it is? Cause maybe that's why I don't, um, I, I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith in the dark side because is it because I'm putting the dark side? Okay. So right now, the way my pedal board goes is like this guitar into my, Wah, wah into my TU. Whatever, your tuner. No, the tuner is not oh. the way. Your tuner's at the end of the board, right? It's a mute switch. Yep. Yeah, I yep. remember that. The tuner, it's not, it's, it's before the compressor, but um, at the end of the board. The compressor is the last thing on the board. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some sage advice that somebody should have given me before I started to form preferences that basically formed my buying habits. Um, if you can get away with using your fuzz in front of your wah, because that's really the most devastating, I, in my mind, that's the most devastating change. Then I would highly recommend you explore that and see if that works for you, and then you can start making decisions about, okay, so if that's not going to work for you, the other pedals are going to be a bigger problem. Now right. that said, what the dark side has fuzz in it, right? I mean, it that's has a, said, like a muff, it has a a muff circuit in it, right? Yeah. That's the first thing that, that you have on the right side is a fuzz. Cause you have you, a fuzz you, and either a Leslie delay or whatever. I use the Leslie. Do you not like it into the, into the effects that come after it? Is that, I mean, I'm, is that, no, it's all right. So, here's my biggest my biggest problem and it's not something that i think another fuzz would fix okay the biggest problem i have is i have a strat and i have a les paul or i have an sg those two do not combine pedals well at all it's almost like you need a separate board mm-hmm. yes and i don't want to do that about- yeah, I've talked about doing this. We've talked about that. That's exactly right. And I've <laughs> talked about, I've thought about it where I have one board for the Strat, I have one board for the for the Les Paul and the and the um, SG and such. So with the amount of pedals, so Jim, with the amount of pedals you have, yep, being being the good neighbor, yep. Um, I kind of think like breaking your stuff up is not that big a deal. Yeah. You have like just pick the shit you really want to use for one, and pick the shit you really want to use for another. Put them on two just, separate boards, or have and the the gig board where I have one line is the one uh, guitar, and the other line is the other guitar. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where the yeah, top you could do row, that. 
right? How many? You only have one wah pedal though, so you can only use a wah with one guitar, and that's going to be an issue. I had two wah pedals, but I would oh, yeah. I would have to probably. I don't know if I'd want a mini to be a main wah for the other guitar. And that would be where, I mean, I could probably, as little as I use the wah for certain stuff, I could probably just say, okay, you know what? This guitar gets the wah pedal. This one doesn't get one. And just go like that. Like, okay, the Strat gets a wah pedal and the Les Paul doesn't or the other way around. So what's so what's your issue with fuzz in uh, in the Les Paul? So like, because I know you can probably tweak the knobs and get it kind of close to where you want it to go. Yep. Um, but the minute, once you get it tweaked in, it, and this is this is true for my fuzz for the fifty fifty for the eight oh five for the Paisley Overdrive. Once yeah. I tweak them in and I get them where I really like them for, let's say I tweak them in for the the SG right here. I get them nice and oh yeah, that's where I want them. Then I take out the Strat. It's super weak. It's like, eh. and it so doesn't have it doesn't have enough. The, the Strat doesn't have enough output. Yep, and so then. I'm I'm compressing it. I'll push the compressor, which is fine. But then the compressor um, boosting the signal is is okay. But the problem is the fuzz doesn't fuzz the way I want it. And the the, compre the, the compressor also, I can tell you right now, the compressor is also modifying your signal. That's right. I I, so I know that. So what I actually would suggest you do, and you're gonna you're gonna think I'm crazy. Um, when I first say it, because I know you like to use boosts in the loop, is get yourself an EP booster, put it on the front of your board in front of everything else, and only turn it on when you plug your Strat in. Have it set for the 3dB boost that this provides out of the box, and it'll actually make your Strat sound better anyway, but it's not going to compress it at all. And that pedal, because it's it's basically the preamp out of an Echoplex, it's not going to screw up your... Um, it shouldn't screw up the input of your fuzz. Uh, I've used them in that capacity to boost fuzz pedals before, and they, they seem pretty they seem pretty neutral. If anything, they might add something. Um, could I put the spark boost? You could try the that? spark. You could try the spark. If you do that, I would set it as neutral as possible because you have the you have the spark mini, right? Or do you have the full full size? Uh, does the mini have dip switches for like treble boost and all that on it? No, nope. I thought I thought it There's had a, like you could tailor it inside or something. Uh, it's the big one does. Okay, the mini doesn't. All right, yeah, Not I, that mean, I, know I would. Of. I would try that and see how it plays in your fuzz pedals, and I would start there because that's so that's that's going to be your biggest problem is you're you're dealing with the volume the volume differences. The next problem you're going to have is is mid range differences, and that you're going to have to learn to like adjust but See, the volume problem is a huge issue because like i've had that before too where my pickups just don't have enough output when going from one guitar to the other the other component of that is like you probably have really high output les paul pickups and you could consider going to something that's lower output but that's going to cost you more money than you know getting a boost pedal yeah um or or just splitting the board i mean yeah, i have well, enough dirt and analog and and I have two carbon copies. I have Yeah, I mean you have like two complete boards. They're all just on one board. Oh yeah. I I have two I have another board. I mean yeah. I have the I have the carbon copy. I have the carbon copy deluxe. I have the caverns. I have um Or or the other the other solution here is 
pick a guitar and stick with it when you're gigging and just use the other one at home. Yeah. And that's the other side of it. I could do it that way. Um, and because you, I've I, I think where I a, like fuzz now, and I and and I want fuzz. I, it's so funny because like you're the only Gibson guy I've ever, I've ever known that's like I like fuzz. Um, but so it's <laughs> funny because like you've got a three thirty five back there, and you've got a Les Paul, and it's like there's a lot of overlap between those. They're not the sound, same sound, yeah. but there's a lot of overlap between those guitars. I could see those two going to a gig together. Same thing with the SG. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as like your Strat, that's like the odd one out for you. It is. So you're always going to fight that thing in terms of pedal board type stuff. So yeah. if you have specific pedals that you prefer to use with the Strat, but you don't really use them with the Les Paul, I would put them on the Strat board. And yeah. I would not try to separate out and have like two rows. I would just say, these are all the Les Paul pedals. These are all the Strat pedals. And because you only have one Strat, that gets the mini, the mini wah. Yep. And I think <clears throat> you're probably going to find out that the um the strat probably prefers the the dark side yeah and i think and i think that there's probably some other pedals that you have like the 808 probably sounds better with the strat yep it does or or the paisley or I mean, it might be the paisley whichever one wins out the paisley drive pick. definitely loves the strat so here's the weird part when i did my board rebuild a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and i was like i'm gonna after i'd gotten done with with the helix and I bought the Kemper and I started to build out the little bitty board. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, like, well, how do I want to build this thing? Cause I don't want to get into the same mess that I got into before where I had, I had no less than four dirt pedals. I had no, I take it back. I had four overdrives and I had two fuzzes. And at one point I had three fuzzes on the same board. So I had seven drive pedals, like seven dirt pedals. Right. And so I'm like thinking to myself, you know, when I got into this situation, how do I, build a board around this need. And I, and I thought to myself, gee, what do I actually need? And I thought to myself, like, I'll just write it down. And I got on a notebook and I have actually saw the the page the other day. And I basically said like, I need a mid boosted, like mildly mid boosted overdrive sound. I need. Yeah. I'm trying to get. I don't know why this thing did what it did. Keep going. Yeah, it's just it's just flipping. I, it, I was going to have you like look at it and go, okay, this is what I would do. So, so I basically just came up with the the archetype sounds right that I use. I use like a mildly boosted, um, pretty driven uh, sound, right? So that's my main tone. When you listen to my live stream, that's what you're going to hear most of the time. I have um, a basically that sound clean. So no overdrive pedal on. And then I have a fuzz and then I have occasionally you'll hear me use the fuzz and the drive, but that's like a new thing. That's a relatively new occurrence because I want to bring out the mids on the fuzz. So if I run them together, then it brings up the mids and then like literally everything else on my board was like, okay, so what, what modulation do I like? And I got the Univibe. That was the first thought was like, I'm going to get a unicorn. Yep. And then I had, um, I needed a wah. So I got the, I got the, uh, real McCoy, you know, recently. Love that. Um, which I was freaking waiting for that thing for like, I was thinking about getting one for almost a year before I bought one. Yep. And then I got the, um, 
I bought the the phase 90 and that was like that was totally kind of an impulse purchase where I was like, you know what? I had a I had a, a phase 90 script logo before and I was like, I, I do want to get something EVH just like to have on my board for for no real good reason. Yep. And I was like, I wouldn't mind having another phase 90. I kind of miss them. And actually, it's a mainstay on my board now. It's not going anywhere. Um, but like everything else, like I, I, dude, I don't even have a delay pedal. Like I just use reverb. What the hell do I need a delay for? Um, and I know people are like, oh, well, you play out when you play out, it gets muddy. It depends. I mean, honestly, like I've had, I've had it go both ways. I've had delay pedals sound muddy as shit. Just depends on the venue. Yeah. Um, and, and who's mixing you. Oh, yeah. um, but I, uh, but I, uh, I just keep it simple, you know, like don't yeah, try to, yeah. don't try to do the thing where you have like nine drives or like, you're like, Oh, I need this sound. I need this sound. And it's like, no, you really just need a drive sound and you need like a moderately dirty sound yep. that you can clean up. If you roll the volume knob back and you probably need a fuzz, maybe one type or two types of modulation and you're delaying reverb and a boost if you don't have one on your amp. So this is what's on the board now. Yeah. All right. So it goes it goes from here into here, goes across this, okay? Then it goes into the tuner and then down to this and then across these. And so this because this would go into the loop, sorry. Um uh the tuner would go into the loop and then that would be my way to mute the whole thing or bring it back, right? And so and then this is at the end of the chain. And that's a boost. All right. So the the point that I'm trying to make here is and you've used the 50-50, so you know. All right. So, right. I would I would I mean, pair that with humbuckers. Yeah. And so uh the 50-50 works great with the humbuckers. Um mm-hmm. the 805 um sits right in the middle. Um it actually yeah. can warm things up quite a bit. These, yeah, it's it's a tube screamer circuit, so it's gonna have a hefty mid hump in there. Yep. Um, these guys like the strat. And so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if I want to put, um, uh, I can move these and then make like a strat line and then make a, um, what do you call it line? And then at the end, I I think that's, that's like way too much signal hijink though. I don't, I don't think I've necessarily want to put it all on one board. No. I just it's too much crap to carry around. Are you ever going to be going to gigs with with both your Strat and your Les Paul? Maybe I not. mean the same gig like that. That's why I said like then you're just carrying extra crap. Well, the truth is, if I if I wind up going to a single guitar, it would have to be the Les Paul or the SG because they're the secondary guitar they're going to be paired up every yeah. time because the backup for that one is going to be the one that I can play the most because the Strat I've only got one. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, at least for the time being, you know, maybe you find I mean, something I've, else yeah, I've at got some point, but two right now, but that, that won't last forever. And so I've got to look at, okay. Um, you know, will I eventually get a, a Telecaster or get a second strat? Probably a second strat. Um, Pro- probably at some point. I mean, yeah. but, but, but like, that's why I wouldn't necessarily put a ton of emphasis yeah. on, you know, and so the, just the stick strat with- kind of things. Yeah, just yeah. stick with the the SG and the Les Paul and go from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could talk about it. You can send me your signal chain, and we can. I can help you kind of organize that. Because I'll be honest with you, like for me, I probably would take the eight hundred five 
and pair that with the uh, the strat. Yeah, and uh, there's a reason for it because if you're if you're doing the mid boosted thing into a fender amp, like that's kind of the sound of you know Stevie Ray Vaughan and all those guys, and really pretty much everybody who plays strats nowadays use some sort of mid boost. Yeah, um, and then I've got pattern. I've got another board. Yeah, and so I could do a strat board um, and have that. Um, well, it just seems hilarious to have like two boards, and I because I've been there like where, but I but I've totally been there where. Like my Kiesel plugged into my existing board, it just like other than the modulation pedals, it doesn't sound good. Right. Um, and it's not because it's a bad guitar, not by no. a long shot. No, um, but I did uh I did reveal to somebody this week that I may be I may sell it. Yeah. Just because like as good as a guitar as it is, and it and it is freaking great. It's so well made. Um Compared to some of the Kiesel disasters I've seen online, um, it's it's really well made. It you know it's a seven string, but that's probably also its biggest detractor because it's really hard for me to go from that guitar to any of my other guitars, and unless I'm doing it daily, and I've had that Kiesel in the case for like months. Uh, I took it out during the live stream a couple days ago. And I played a song. I played one of my songs with it. Um, and I was like, geez, lightning fast action. Like it plays so good, but I'm like, man, it ain't my strat. Right. And as right. I, as after I played, I was like, it ain't my strat. And I'm like, I'd rather have a strat. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Have a really, it, another really good Stratocaster style yeah. guitar. And not, yeah, not necessarily a Strat, but a S style guitar. And that's yeah. that's what I'm thinking. I would probably, and you know what? I hate to admit this, but I've seen some of these new courts. I definitely want to go check one out. Um, because um, if I get a second S style guitar, look at what they're doing with the courts right now. Oh my God, they're doing some great things. And for killer money right now, considering what they're putting in them. I'm also, uh, I am selling my, I'm going to sell my, uh, Janelle legacy tribute. Are you? Um, really? Yeah. That's the, the legacy tribute. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, not my, not my S 500. Yeah. That yeah. thing's, that I knew the, I, I, I knew you didn't say S 500. That thing's not going anywhere. Um, and, uh, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of like cleaning house. I'm going to collect some money on it. I don't know if I'm going to sell the keys yet. I may, I may not. I had to wait for that guitar. Like it was built for me and I'm kind of, yeah, kind of like, eh. I'm thinking um, about asking my son to let me keep the the mim. Just if, keep it. it. Yeah. If I sell my Kiesel, that's about fourteen hundred bucks. Yep. I could I could theoretically try to parlay my way into like a Tom Anderson or something used. Yep. Um or build a warm off like basically free and clear. Yep. Um the question is, you know, do I want to do I want to go that way or do I want to go something that I can actually resell if, you know, yeah, exactly. chicken's ugly, um, which I've been in that, you know, I've been in that frame of mind. Like we've talked about this on the show before where I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to sell gear to try to make up bills or anything like that. But I've done it. I've done it while the show's been running. And honestly, it's not as big a deal as people make it out to be yeah. or that you would think it is if you've never had to do it. Um Cause like, I still have my good stuff. I didn't, I'm not, there's things I won't part with, but like, I, 
honestly, there's not a whole lot of it. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's two guitars and an amp and, uh, that's pretty much it, you know? Um, but, uh, I, I will say this. I, if I sell the Kiesel, um, I've already offered it to somebody first dibs because oh, okay. they, they really like the guitar anyway. And I know it's sort of up their alley for, for the things they like. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you, you deserve it probably more than anybody else. Um, so th- there's that, but, uh, yeah, I just, I have to decide whether I'm going to, whether I'm going to get my money out of it or not, or whether I'm going to keep it around. Maybe I keep it. I got lots of photographs of me playing that guitar and in, in the open mics and stuff. That's actually, that's another thing too. You never realize how annoying it is at, to have like a headless or some, some weird style guitar. Everybody comes up and talks to you. It's like, God damn it. Can I just take my shit off stage without you having like come up here and yap my ear off? Um, oh, and they're always drunk. That That's the first thing. How did it get broken? <laughs> It got yeah. broken in the parking lot when I beat your ass with it. You know, like they think, they think they're hilarious. <laughs> it, it's always, uh, it's always something. You know, um, uh, so for next week, I want to talk about so, something that I found irritating as heck. Watching a lot of these, uh, um, a lot of these demo videos over the week for different things. I. W- uh, I'm I'm going to give a teaser to it, but I want to talk about it next week because we're almost at two hours right now. Yeah. Stop using guitars nobody else has. I mean, you and your you and your effing uh, hipster friends have them. Your YouTube channel friends have them, but guess what? Nobody, nobody buys knows. them. Nobody. And so, that. guess what? Nor do they I, want them. Nor do they want them. That does not represent that pedal to me. That does not represent that amplifier to me. And I, I think give- I know exactly who we're talking about. And I'm like, I totally understand because that guitar is so freaking weird. Who wants that? Yeah. Who wants that guitar? Yeah. And I, I'm going to, uh, I'd love to get him on the channel and just say, all right. I, I would too, but he's not coming on here. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to come on here. I'd love to have him on because I think he's, I think he's a really, you know. He's a nice guy. You'll we'll, get to meet him at GearFest, I'm sure. I hope but, so. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I sit down and I go, why are you playing that fucking guitar? Play something. I would know what it sounds like. So yeah, we'll, we'll reveal who that person is next week because we, we know we're talking about the same person. Because yeah. you said he was a nice guy, and I was like, "Oh, please don't tell me you're talking about Mr. Shill." Um, no, so. <laughs> no, no, actually, and that's another thing. That's another thing. Before we take this out, I got, I got to set the record straight on Rhett Shill. Yeah. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody outside the show who's a fan of the show, yep. and they were like, uh, and "I won't reveal their name because, yeah, yep. I don't want to, I don't want to push any buttons." But they were kind of like, "You really don't like him. Like, you really hate him." I and I was like, I don't him. hate him. I hate like, him. I was like, I actually don't hate him. I don't know him. I can't I don't hate, hate right. somebody I don't know. I can't right. like somebody I don't know, but I can't well, hate somebody. But my, but my whole thing was like, because I'm calling him Rhett Schill and all these different things. Listen, it's 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 all in good fun. Right. If Rhett wants to come on the show, he's more than welcome to. Um, I'm not going to like go and pull a Jared Dines and try to reach out to him and you know, make them and then go through the mud yeah. and do all like, that's not me. Um, I actually like, I don't watch Rhett's videos anymore. I did. I did unfollow him. That's like legit. I wasn't joking around on the show, but it was more because I just got, I got tired of like the, um, 
the melodrama of yeah. how he shoots his videos and like yeah, the fact is... that yeah, it's all hyper real. Yeah, you know? hyperbolic. Well, I, I say hyper real in the sense that, um, and it's kind of like that's that's a critical theory term, so I should probably explain it. Um, hyper real in the sense that, like, it's reality amplified right. to the point where it's like almost unreality. Right. Um, and and in the sense, you know, he did the video where he's talking about his like creative streak breaking and like it was pointed out you know every youtuber does a video about that at some point and i'm like yeah vloggers all do it it's absolutely true they do a video about how do i keep making videos when i'm so burnt out and not oh creative and like i get i get it he's doing that right um and i i, I this person i was having the conversation with also also acknowledged you no know, it is 2020 i see your point that that was a crappy thing to do um but i but like you know it's like you can't be mad at him for like making the cash grab and no, absolutely not. But it doesn't mean I have to watch him either. Right. Um, right. So I, I like the problems I've had with Rhett over the years are more or less just like the way he conducts business. And there have definitely been times where he's getting products that it's not like clearly disclosed that I'm getting a product here or, and it may not, and it may not be from the company. It may be from a dealer like that happens too. Um, there are ways of insulating yourselves from that law, which that's part of the influencer thing, right? It's like getting your way around that. Um, but in his situation, like I don't actually see Rhett as much of an influencer so much as um, just a vlogger. And he's okay. Like, honestly, I'd buy him a beer and I'd sit down and I'd talk to him and I'd even bring it up. I'd be like, Hey, yeah. remember when you did that video about your creativity? Like I actually like laughed because I, because I was looking at it. And I was like, dude, you made this video. It's 2020. Like everybody's screwed right now. And you're concerned about this. Oh, and I would just know, laugh it off. It's not, it's not a big deal. So I watch a channel called a dose of Buckley and he's a comedian. And he does this stuff and he, and he's always like, why do you people take me seriously? I am a comedian. I say right out, there is nothing factual about what I say, but he was talking about how all of these um, celebrities Oh, you know, I'm in the same boat as you. Oh my God. And then they're, then they're tripping off to some island or they're, yeah. you know, they're taking off. They're to, renting the private jet on, and then, that sits on a tarmac so they can videotape themselves like they're going somewhere. So then J-Lo. Like, yeah. And then J-Lo um, took off her, her, her expensive clothing and jewelry on a beach and said, let everything go. Let's, let's go back to the bed. Oh, shut up. JLo. You could throw out every piece of jewelry you have on right now and Why still have more money. Your four bodyguards that are standing behind the camera person. <laughs> exactly. And that person's picking it up, digging it out. Yeah, never mind the fact that you have a camera person taking shots of you on the beach because you're a model. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it, it, and, and honest thing, I put this on my Facebook page. I just shared it and I said, really, you are not, you are not relatable. You don't relate to us, you know, um, and uh, the whole Imagine thing that Gal Gadot put up. It's like, yeah. Just go back to being the little, you know, the little Muppet thing you are on TV and 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 do what you do. We know you don't know us and we know you don't like us. I don't care about you. I don't care what you eat for dinner. I don't care how much you crap all week long. I, you know, and, and that's the I problem with our society. I, we built I these actually people. don't even, I don't even see Rhett as being. No, no, no. I'm just that, saying that. That removed. No, I'm just saying that there are so many people who are removed 
they forget. You know, it's 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 like the ones that 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 I talk about all the time that hang they all these guitars. From. Yeah, and they forget that 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 you're talking to a person who's proud of the fact that they finally just got a Made in America strap. Yeah, they, they finally bought their first Made in America strap. You're like, yeah, well, I've got 16 of them. Let me just show them to you. Like, don't don't brag and don't. Don't throw them in your face because I know you're not trying to brag, but it's just like Gal Gadot singing. She, I bet you she actually had it in her heart to to say something nice. I bet you she was trying to do something nice. But the problem is, while you do this in your mansion, you're not reaching. And nobody cares what you well, I don't and even all know. your celebrity friends are doing. Well, I don't even know, like when, when, so like, let's say somebody puts up their, you know, their four American strats in the background or whatever. Like, I don't even know if that they're like the whole audience uh, agrees with, with your methodology. But the, but the point is that they don't realize that that's not like, that's not necessarily the norm. Right. And they're so aloof to it that like, if they don't even realize that someone may be seeing it that way, it's exactly. just, this is how I, this is how I live. And I forgot that one day, you know, I wasn't a guitar player and I didn't have all this. Um, and as like in Rhett's case, I don't see Rhett as actually overblowing himself to be a celebrity in the same way that I think like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the cinematography of the moment. Right. And like, I don't think he realizes sometimes the way that it comes off. Right. And that's what I'm saying. I, I believe me, if you told him, I'd be, I'm sure you'd be like, yeah, like it's kind of silly, like so big deal. And actually meeting meeting some of these people over the years has kind of opened my eyes to the fact that they don't necessarily perceive themselves in any way different. It's just no. because it's on YouTube and because those things are true, like that's part of the situation. Um, but I did tell I did tell the person I was having the conversation with, this is how I actually wanted to leave it, was like, do I, you know, because part of the conversation was like, is it, do you think it's okay to like, be angry with these people and like you know is that good for your audience is it good for the show and like i know people kind of think like that's not good for the show but like i want to i want to point something out part of our stock and trade here has been being authentic we don't play authentic we are authentic like jim and i may come off as the most abrasive jerks in the world but at least that's who we are and, and honestly that's probably the same thing for red yeah. Like he may come off as a genuine dude on, on to, to a lot of folks and that's who he is, but that's not the way it looks like to me sometimes. And so therefore right. I called it out. Like I saw it because that's my stock and trade. Like that's, that's my product. If nobody likes my product, then clearly right. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> right. And if you met me, you would meet me. I mean, the, this right. person right here, this guy, you'd meet this guy. You would meet this, this person, no different. I don't put on makeup for the camera. I don't. Um, I don't get dressed up. Uh, <laughs> I wear blue jeans and and t shirts. And tonight I'm wearing a sweatshirt because it was warm out today and I was outside. Um, I I don't believe in being a, a fake person for anything. I don't believe in shilling anything. Um, now that said, we all have to play our politic, whether it's at work or you know in our social circles. We all have to do that. Have a character for the show, but yeah. it, but like that character reflects a lot of my opinions, right? Um, I wouldn't necessarily express myself in the same way outside the show. There'd probably be a lot more f bombs, right? Oh, I'd have a lot more f bombs if you met me in person. There'd be <laughs> a, a lot sailor. more. 
A lot more f bombs. A lot more. I was. Oh my god. I was in full form today during lunch. But uh, you know, I, I I wanted to. I wanted to leave it like this. Regardless of what what, what we are here, um, and we're genuine and we're reachable. I think a lot of the other. Uh, a lot of what happens to any channel is it grows to the point that you can or no longer ask your questions. Yeah. And, it and it's not their fault. They're trying, they're trying their best. I don't think Phil McKnight goes, you know, I wonder how many people I can ignore this week. That's not what he does. But a guy that's got 700 people watching his live stream on a week, he cannot even answer every person once, much less all the people that ask him questions. Um, and just like I said before, there's no way he plays all 70 guitars that are hanging behind him either. 25 or 26 guitars that are hanging behind him. So, um, my point is that, um, we are, we are genuine. Um, David, who doesn't even show the guitars that he has, plays all but his Kiesel <laughs> daily, you know? And yeah, pretty and much. I mean, I play these guys daily. And so that, um, with the exception that you can't see it, it's Oscar. Well, yeah, you can. It's right there. Um, this 12 string. Um, and you can see it, but it's kind of off screen. But anyway, that thing doesn't get played very often. <laughs> but if, it, other I, than if the, I can't play it, I, it doesn't stick around very long. Right. Because I, I need money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the only amp I don't play very often is that Spark. Um, and the the thing is that, that um, we – there's a there's a certain amount of um, uh, a reality that comes through that. I think. I think this is the room. If if you were working with me and you skyped with me during work, this is the room you'd see. <laughs> if you if you came over to my house and sat down and was going to watch, don't. yeah, <laughs> don't. Um, and, and was going to sit and watch a, a, a movie with me or whatever. This is the room you'd see, and this is this is where I am. This isn't just my oh I, I come up here when I want to hang out. I, I'm or, almost this always isn't your in studio it. space where you just this is the only place where you make movies. The dog, you your, you're not a content creator. You don't go no. in here to create content, Jim. right? Right. Just like turn on the camera. Well, that's that's what I think the audience may not understand is that, like a lot of the shows just flip the camera on and we go. It's yeah. not like we don't. I mean, we do prepare, but it, but it's like here's the topics we're going to talk about. Maybe do a little bit of research before the episode and then like, okay, away we go. And, and believe me, um, there have definitely been times where we like regret saying certain things. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I do regret like some of the, the red show comments, but then I also remember some of the things that he said where it's like, you said, you literally said you wouldn't say that. And then you turned around and you said it. Um, but I don't. I just I don't have any ill will for anybody in the community. Even no. even Jared Dines, like Jared, basically lied to us in the early days of the show and uh, through his publicist. And I think it was just his publicist was speaking on his behalf without actually talking to him. Yeah. But I but I just like that really pissed me off. But oh, I don't yeah, like right. Jared. Jared same thing. I would totally like go and like sit down and have a beer with Jared. I don't drink, but I'd have a beer with Jared and like shoot the shit i mean it's no big deal um there are very few people in this industry that have that have peed on us to the point where i won't even talk to them i Um, I, i'm trying to think yeah jared wrote that's right jared's uh publicist 
When you're so big, you have a publicist, you're no longer talking to the person. No, there's nothing genuine yeah. about it anymore. The funny part is his contemporaries, other YouTubers that are as big as he is, don't have publicists. No. I think there was something that happened uh, business-wise that required yeah. him to get legal counsel. And I think when that happened, he, he got the publicist and legal counsel as part of his uh, – his deal he's done interviews about it i i remember he was on amps and axes right towards the end of the show and he talked about having a publicist and like how that worked out like how that what that situation was like and if i recall there was some it wasn't just the publicist there was more to it than that yeah that um, makes sense and he, and he was actually encouraging other youtube creators uh, specifically in the music community to consider getting representation and stuff. yeah there's a, the only other channel that i know that's big and it even dwarfs uh Dines um, is uh, Davy Five Hundred Four. Who's a bass player? Yeah, and Davy Five Hundred Four has nine million subscribers. Yeah, he's one of the biggest. Yeah, he's the, one the of the music the big channels. Um, yeah, and he pulled he pulled a prank on on his channel um, that I thought was pretty interesting. He dressed um, in female clothing for. Uh, a couple of months, and then uh, he said, "I'm going to reveal who this um, bass player is." And did all his bass playing, and had everybody like saying stuff negative and everything. He goes, "Guess what? That was me the whole time." And he and then he showed it, and it was like <laughs> his girlfriend was in on it and everything, and he was like, "Yeah, see that? You guys are weirdos. <laughs> the things you say." You guys deserve all the crap you get. And as great as great as he is as a bass player, because he's he's really really oh, good he's a monster as, bass. as bass. Yeah. Um, he's a content creator first oh, and yeah. foremost. If he you watch his stuff, creator. like there's a reason why he's got nine million subscribers because he has right. an appeal outside of music that's very broad. Yes. Whereas Jared, Jared is, I yeah. feel like Jared's like really appealing to guitar players specifically. Yeah, metal um, guitar players. Despite the fact that he's actually a drummer. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Huh? He's primarily a drummer. Yeah. Nope. Um. Anyway, anyway we've been, we've been, been yeah. yeah, we're over. We're over two hours. Thanks for hanging around. I've been Jim. I've been David. This has been the Practical Guitarist. Let's cue the music. <laughs>